We're going to be in uh, 1 Peter today, for the most part. And as I've stated before, Alan usually, I think he's just making up titles now for... Because <laughs> he hadn't texted me the last few times and said, Hey, I need a title and a passage, so... I think he just listens in on whatever I was preaching on and then makes up a title. But if he had texted me and asked me about a title, I was saying, I'd probably title it, Life's Not Fair. You know, I was going to say, Life's Not Fair, fair, Deal With It, but that might sound a little harsh. And so since we live in the United States of the Offended now, and everything... Everything offends everybody, and I get offended that you're offended by what I said, you know, and everybody's offended, so, but uh, life's not fair, or at least this life's not fair, but as believers, we have a biblical basis, and we're already told that this life's not going to be fair, and how we're supposed to deal with it, just a lot of times in our walk in life, we choose to ignore (laughs) that instruction and get upset about stuff we perceive to not be fair. And I, you know, obviously when you're a kid, I had a buddy when I was growing up in Indiana. He became our best buddy, my best buddy. We became best buddies after we found out we were distant cousins. Very distant cousins, but we were friends before that. But then my aunt Velma, remember my mom Velma's twin sister Velma? She was the uh, family lineage person growing up for us when I was growing up, and about third grade, I guess, Steve and I found out that we were like 12th cousins, once removed or something, (laughs) and so we became like best buddies, but I was either over at his house or he was over at my house, but you know, we were like nine or ten years old, and we came in from playing outside in the yard, and we were thirsty, and he told his mom, which I call Mom Tune, she's like my second mother, <clears throat> can you get us something to drink or whatever? And she poured out the drink that time, and I had a little more in my glass than Steve had in his. He said, Mom, that's not fair. So after that point in time, when we'd come in from outside, Steve would pour the drinks for us. And he'd get out the two glasses, and he'd actually pour it in there and pour it in there and sit them side by side, make sure they were just right there, at least to the naked eye. And that was fair, see? But life's not fair. And even with dealing with our kids and now grandkids, you know, you'll do something, and they'll say, Pops, that's not fair. And then Pops will come back and say, Life's not fair. <laughs> Right? Life's not fair. Deal with it. In my life, I had an example. My father, obviously, my mom, if you guys have heard me speak before, she got cancer and passed away when I was 16. But dealing with that, I just watched how my dad handled that, right? And he handled it. He didn't say, oh, God, that's not fair that I left my wife of 40 years at 59. So he didn't, didn't deal with it that way. Then Pop passed away from cancer when I was 25. <clears throat> but having seen how he handled things and how uh, my brother passed away about 12 years ago <clears throat> at, uh, when I was 44, I'm 
Sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. <laughs> but anyway, life's not fair. But uh, let's get into First Peter. And I'll try to get my composure back. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. And we're going to go back to the beginning of 1 Peter, but we'll start at verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 11. <clears throat> Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. So right there we're talking about present and future stuff. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, that they may, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation, which is yet future. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as a bond slave of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually strained like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So right there in 1 Peter, Peter's talking about, so, you know, if I go out and just break the law or, you know, just live in life any way I want to and get punished for it, that's what's supposed to happen, right? But if you're doing right or if you're living right or if you're walking right and you still suffer, we're not supposed to take the attitude of, God, that's not fair. Right? That's not fair. 
We're supposed to take the attitude and use the example of Jesus Christ. Remember our pastor who's been in Mark, and remember we've been going we've been going through the crucifixion passage in Mark, and we see what uh, Jesus Christ, our Savior, went through when all the liars were hurling the accusations at him. Did he come back and say, that's not fair? Now, what did he do? He didn't do anything. He didn't, didn't respond, right? He left the judgment unto whom? God. Who judges righteously, as if you've been listening on some of Jerry's Sunday school lessons. We're looking for that righteous judgment. See, we're not supposed to step in and do the vengeance part ourselves. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Right? But there's plenty of times, you know, we, we had the blessing of raising five kids and, you know, the sisters and the brothers, and, Mom, that's not fair. Dad, that's not fair. Then hopefully they mature to the point where now they're telling your kid, their kids, my grandkids, when they come to them, well, you know, life's not fair. You know, deal with it. But in our Christian walk, have we reached that point of maturity in our Christian walk where we have this attitude that was portrayed by our Savior Jesus Christ about the sufferings? Because the sufferings are going to come. Right? The sufferings are going to come. Life's not fair. So how are we going to deal with it? Turn back to the beginning of 1 Peter, chapter 1, and we'll try to we'll stay in 1 Peter. And 1 Peter and James sometimes, which are books right side by side, they're really sort of to the same people. If you read the introduction to 1 Peter, chapter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen, and that's the Greek word eklektos, which, which sounds a whole lot like ekklesia, right? It's a form of that. But uh, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled, sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. And then he goes on to talk about Obviously, and he gets into the part of suffering. If you go back to James chapter 1, see who James is writing to. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Remember, Peter said they were scattered, James said they're dispersed abroad. Greetings, consider it all, and he jumps right into it, doesn't he, And James? <laughs> consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith, or literally the, the faith of you, it is articular in that verse, it's the faith, but it sounds better to the translators to say your faith produces endurance. Jerry's Sunday School lesson right now in Ephesians, 
been focusing in on Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but it's talking about endurance. Endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may perf- be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So once again, First Peter and James were both written to the scattered tribes. They were dispersed abroad. James gets right to it. Why were they dispersed? Persecution. Life's not fair. <clears throat> Back to First Peter. <clears throat> Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. Remember the message a few weeks back? Born from above, literally. Born from above. To a living hope, and living's present active there in the Greece. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To do what? To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So that's yet future again. Verse 6, And this you greatly rejoice, even though now, and Peter gets right to it, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. That sound like the start of James also? They're both writing to the tribes that have been dispersed abroad because of persecution. Now they're trying to write to and encourage them how to react to that persecution. Because life's not... (coughs) fair. This life's not fair. Though for a little while, and a lot of times we don't think that the persecution's lasting a little while, do we? When we're in the midst of it, or when we're going through the suffering, we don't think it's a little while. If necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of Once again, that's articular, the faith of you, or your faith, as the translators translators put it. The proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. When? In that future time, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's yet future. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him. And that is also in the present active. You keep on believing in him. It's present active. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Once again, obtaining the end result obtaining as the outcome of, and it's articular again. They left out the article. 
your faith, or the faith of you, the salvation of your souls. So in Jerry's Sunday school lesson, he talked about Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and our spirit salvation, which this First Peter and James are not talking about, right? That past tense, aorist tense salvation, when you believed, as Jerry was pointing out in Acts 16, 30, and 31, you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is talking about our present and future salvation, the salvation of the soul. Continue on, verse 10. As to this salvation, remember we just said what salvation we're talking about, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiry. Inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Did we get that last phrase? Verse 11, the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. See, the sufferings always precede the glory. All right? The sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So if we endure those sufferings as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ set the example, then we'll have that outcome back in verse 9 occur. Right? But if we refuse to endure those sufferings, we refuse to suffer with him, then we won't have the glory to follow. If we don't take Christ's example and endure, patiently endure, as the text says, right? If we choose to enter into sufferings, when we enter into sufferings, we turn and we go, God, life's not fair. Or God, that's not fair. I don't want to have to go through that because that's not fair. Or we can choose to impatiently endure. Patiently endure. The suffering always precedes the glory. Verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober. And the in spirit there is in italics because it's not in the Greek text. But keep sober is also in what tense? Present active tense in the Greek. So you got to keep on doing that. It's not just one time thing. Keep sober. Fix your hope. That living hope he was talking about back in chapter 1, right? Fix your hope completely 
on the grace to be brought to you when? Here's that phrase again. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when is that grace going to be brought to us? Still yet future. So we either suffer with him now and respond to those sufferings as Christ did. And we'll have the glory to follow. If we don't suffer now or don't receive the sufferings or don't endure patiently through the sufferings now, then we won't receive that glory to follow. Verse 14, as obedient children... Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy or set apart, for I am holy. Then we get to another part. If you address as the Father, the one who impartially judges, Remember, when we step in and want to judge somebody, is our judgment impartial? When we want to step in there and take God's place, right? Whose feelings are we worried about? Mine. That's not fair. Right? But God's judgment is impartial who impartially judges according to each one's work. If you do that, he says, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. I remember the first time I met Ken. Uh, He came from the field, and uh, Al was still teaching uh, Brian Bible School, uh, Bible School, (laughs) Brian Sunday School class over at Grace, and Ken was the guest speaker that morning. It's probably been at least 10 years ago, I guess. I'm not sure. But his Sunday school lesson, he was talking about the lack of, the, of fear of God. And he went through a lot of different passages. Do you remember that? I remember that. But anyway. And he was also talking about not going to heaven when you die, but heaven's actually coming to us in that future day. And he went through just several different passages talking about the fear of God. Because, you know, a lot of churches, you know, well, God doesn't want you to follow him because you're afraid of him. He wants you to follow him because you love him and he loves you. Which is true, I understand that. If you love me, keep my commandments. But there's still in the church today is a lack of the fear of God. Right? Verse 17 says, if you address as father the one who impartially judges, righteously judges in that future day, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Also, when I was a kid, I was a little bit hyper. Can anybody believe that? I was a hyper child. I was the seventh child of Tom and Thelma Smith. I was her biggest baby, about killed her. And she was 43 years old, birthing me. And I was hyper. So, you know, mom had already raised, you know, there was the older four, and there was about an eight-year gap between Roland and Dan, I guess, when Papa's giving mom a break or something. I don't know. 
and then there was the younger three of us. But I was hyper, and so I was, you know, and mom was already, by the time I was five or six, she's already in her, you know, getting up towards 50, so. But I always hate it, because I could always, you know, run around, run out in the backyard when she'd get the switch or the fly swatter or something like that. But I, you know, I could even let her slap me with the fly swatter, didn't, you know, even at a big six or seven-year-old, it didn't hurt that bad. But if she was just so frustrated, she said, Wait till your father gets home. Ooh, there was the fear of Tom Smith right there. I would stop dead in my track. Wait till your father gets home. Because my dad was shorter than me, but he was a big man. Had a 48-inch waist, so his belt was 50, 52 inches long. And so he got home, and I would just be sitting there just... Dreading it. I've had a television on then, sitting there like a nice boy in front of the TV. And Pop walk in, hey, Pop, you know, whatever. And then he'd go in the kitchen, see what Mom was cooking. And I knew he'd, he'd walk by the, hey, boy. And he'd go upstairs. All the bedrooms are upstairs in this little two-story house in Wanamaker. <clears throat> and I'd have to get down on my knees beside my twin bed and lay over, and he'd take that. 52 inches of belt off and fold it in half. I'd had to take my whooping like a man. Even though I was six, seven years old, you know, take your, take your whooping like a man, boy. But that was the thing. That fear, you know, that's all she had to say to get me to stop. That fear of my dad coming home, you know, and having to take a whooping, you know. <clears throat> and then he'd, pick, he'd get up and sit on the bed. I'd sit on it and we'd talk or whatever after he gave me four lashes or four whoopings or whatever he felt was necessary. <clears throat> but that fear of God is missing these days in the church. Fear of God. Verse 18. Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of the inherited. Did that offend anybody that my dad whooped me? I just, <laughs> I just want to know if anybody was offended that my dad used corporal punishment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, all seven of us did. I wasn't the only one that she said, wait till your father gets home. Trust me, there was five boys and two girls, so... I wasn't the only one he said that, uh, mom said that too. <laughs> Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers who, in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are where? In God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Here's that phrase again. For you have been born from above or born again. And 
Ken mentioned the tense this morning in Sunday school. That's actually that that born again or born from above is in the perfect tense. It's perfect passive. So we are being acted upon in that born from the above. You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God, the logos in that verse of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, unless you have as much rain as we've had lately, which causes my son-in-law to have to mow more yards, which is a good thing in a sense, but. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And that word in the Greek is the rhema, the spoken word. And this is the rhema which was preached to you, the spoken word. Chapter 2, I'm pulling a mark today. We're just going through it verse by verse. and I'll stop whenever my wife starts going, hey... Because sometimes I get into the zone of the teaching, I don't, I'm, I'm confessing, I don't even see the clock on the back wall. So. But I look up every once in a while, and my wife's giving me one of those right there, like that. <laughs> Therefore, putting aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word. So that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And what type of sal- what salvation are we talking about in First Peter? See, grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord and coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. After Brian Sunday school class years ago, I slipped over here on a Sunday morning and Al was talking about the houses and that message, the different, you know, the house, the spiritual house. Trust me, you were, I was... I was here. And uh, so we are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes. And what tense do you think that's in? It's present active tense. He who keeps on believing in him will not be disappointed. All right, we're talking about a present and future salvation. Go ahead. He who keeps on believing in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who keep on believing. It's present tense. But for those who disbelieve, 
the stone which his builders rejected, this became the very corner and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are, what? Disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. Because if we suffer with him, patiently enduring the sufferings, we also reign with him. But if we refuse to suffer with him, if we're disobedient to the word, then we will can make shipwreck of our faith. As Jerry's Sunday school lessons, we're talking about faith being the noun, right? Believe being the verb. Do you see that? They stumble because they're disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellences, excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Then we get to the passage we already read. So this life is not fair. But if we take our example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and patiently endure this life and the sufferings that come with it, then we get the glory to follow. Right? We get that end result of obtaining the outcome that we're looking for, right? The salvation of our souls in that future day. Right? That future day. But this life, not fair. So just deal with it. Right? But deal with it scripturally. <laughs> According to our example that's set before us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for your word and the ability to freely open your word. We pray that each one of us would have eyes to see and ears to hear and that we would all patiently endure during this time so that we get the outcome we're looking for in that future day. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.